0: Amen. Thank you so much, Catherine and David. Good morning, everyone. And so grateful to be back uh, again another day, another opportunity to encounter God together uh, in community here in Chapel. And this week uh, is a really our trajectory setting week as we're overviewing the mission of Chapel. And just a couple reminders. Uh, yesterday, if you weren't here um, I, I shared and talked about the overarching theme um, of, of chapel this year, uh, stemming from John 10, 10 of abundant life. And with the three sub-themes of identity, intimacy, and impact And the full all fall, we'll be exploring identity and our identity in Christ in multiple different angles. Um, and part of that is, a, is our over, part of our overarching theme of abundant life is uh, we're going to be weaving in a series um, of what a, a true full picture of a, of a Christian perspective of pro-life looks like, of which uh, Dr. Carradine will be will be kicking off this morning. But before I introduce him, um, let me just mention again, um, just as we have a new rhythm of of chapel and chapel credit being replaced with spiritual development credit, one of the programmatic changes is that on Thursdays there are no alternative chapels in Night Hall. So we have um, uh, there's three that are offered tomorrow, so make sure to find that they've been rotating on slides. They'll be up on Instagram. They're up on The Rock. So just keep that in mind as you're making your selection for chapel tomorrow if you choose to go. And so um, we're really excited and privileged to, to be able to hear um, from our university president, Dr. Alan Kirton, And he's in his 18th year um, leading this institution and has been faithfully doing so. Um, from a Biblical Christ Center perspective, and he's been a champion um, of this university and, 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 and Northwestern Media's mission and to provide, uh, raise up generations of students that are going to go out into the world and provide God honoring leadership in the home, in the church, in the community, and in the world. And since he's been president, um, there has been uh, great levels of of just God's grace in bringing growth and expansion, not only to um, enrollment, but also greater uh, programs, both at the undergraduate and graduate level. Uh, as a way that the Lord is using Northwestern as a vehicle uh, for kingdom influence in this world. And Dr. Kyrton, um has been an integral part of that and at the helm uh, and, and, and leading the charge. And so we're really grateful to hear from him this morning. And uh, Dr. Kirtan has been married to his uh, high school sweetheart, Gail, since 1976. Three kids and uh, 11 grandchildren, the most recent being born just this past month. So please welcome Dr. Kirton to the stage. And let's pray. Let's pray over Dr. Keridon together as he shares with us. Father in heaven, we are deeply grateful for your steadfast love. Lord, thank you that your love is greater, that your love is stronger, that your love beat death, overcame sin and the devil and the grave. It's your love that regenerates us into becoming your from, from becoming from being your enemies into becoming your beloved children. Your love is the foundation upon which we stand. And I pray that you would display your steadfast love once again in and through Dr. Cureton as he shares with us, knowing that all of what he does share, that it is coming from a place of love, that he be full of grace and truth, and that our hearts would be ready and open wide to receive from you through him and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Great. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah good morning Northwestern. It's good to be here. It's great to have you back. This place is not the same without you. It gets really boring here in the summer. So I'm grateful for the energy and the synergy that you all bring back to campus. Uh, Today I'm gonna talk to you and share my perspective on pro-life and Um, This is a perspective that my my guess is 95% of you have never even heard of. I'm going to present a perspective that's been recent, in recent years, and it tends to be uh, a little bit outside the mainstream of evangelical or Protestant thinking. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous about sharing it with you, but I believe you need to hear it. And I want you to hear it from me, uh, as your president. And so uh, if there are some of you in the audience that would just quietly pray for me at this time, I would be deeply grateful. Uh, It was my freshman year in college, back in 1973, that I heard of this way of thinking, this philosophy. And it came out of a discussion that emerged in the Catholic Church. And as a Bible major, uh, we were kind of following what was happening in the evangelical circles and what was happening in the church. This discussion came up and I thought, wow, what an interesting way of seeing or defining pro-life. Because as you recall, in 1973, we had a Supreme Court decision made called Roe versus Wade that legalized abortion. And we in the church fought against it and lost at the court level and have been fighting it ever since. And pro-life today, when you talk about pro-life, it really revolves around that issue. They've kind of made it the issue that defines the pro-life movement. But I want to talk to you today about maybe a larger comprehensive view. One that I think is biblical. So abortion... uh, uh, I just want to go on record as saying I find is uh, completely contrary to Scripture. I find it reprehensible. I can't believe that actually happens and it still happens today in this country. But I do see momentum shifting and I'd see that from my historical position of where I've been for the last 50 years. And there is a movement a way, or should we say, to maybe change that law. Abortions are down, but they're still happening. And what breaks my heart is that they're happening in the evangelical church, amongst the followers of Christ. So later this semester and throughout the year, uh, we're gonna have an opportunity to address specifically the abortion question from a biblical worldview. And a friend of the institution, a friend of mine, she's going to come and talk to you, uh, I believe, in November. But my viewpoint that I want to share with you today emerges out of Deuteronomy 6 4, out of Mark 12. If you have your scripture, let's open up to Mark 12, Matthew 22, or even Luke 10. In fact, James calls this in verse, chapter 2, verse 8, the royal law. What I'm going to share with you. So I'm going to read from Mark 12, starting at verse 28. Upperclassmen, you've heard me talk about this passage of Scripture. This is a passage of Scripture that means a lot to me. And I'm going to share it with you a lot, and I'm sharing it with you today. So starting at verse 28... And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. So I look at this concept of loving my neighbor. What does that require of me as a follower of Christ? See, because I and you are new covenant Christians. We have the old covenant and the new covenant, Old Testament, New Testament. We are followers of a man called Christ. And as a person, you and I are made in the image of God. So how do I love my neighbor? And love the Lord my God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and strength. See, from this premise, we realize that life, life is a gift. In the Old Testament, we're told, you know, in the Great Commandments, 10 Commandments, love the Lord revere him and honor him. Don't worship other gods. Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covenant. And don't have sex with others besides your spouse. We're talking about life and the quality of life. And even in the example in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan, when Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? They share the story of the Good Samaritan of the individual who showed mercy, who was out of the cultural norm, whom today probably would have been an illegal immigrant because the university presidents walked on the other side of the road or the senior pastor of a large evangelical church walked on the other side of the road. Blessed are the merciful. So how does this define a pro-life position? Here's my position. This viewpoint that emerged in 1973 is what they call a seamless garment, or it's been rephrased recently as a consistent ethic of life. Seamless garment. If you remember, at his crucifixion, the guards rolled the die because they didn't want to divide his clothing because his robe did not have a seam in it. It was made of one piece of cloth. I can't imagine that, I don't. I have seams everywhere on this jacket and on these clothes. I can't imagine what a seamless garment looks like, but what they captured was, it was a holistic one piece of garment. That's why they wanted to identify this pro-life movement as let's think about it comprehensively. Every person without exception whatsoever is sacred and is the only creature that God wills for his own sake. You and I have a soul. Elephants don't have souls. Dogs don't have souls. Cats definitely don't have souls. (laughs) That's for another day, that's for another day. And then when you look at our culture, Archbishop Bernardin says that we have a culture of death that's interlinked with many expressions of contempt for human life, while at the same time recognizing that it can't be collapsed into a single problem, but it's part of a larger problem. When you look around at our society, what's happening in our TV shows, movies, video games, What's happening in the shootings, people? There is a contempt for death, a culture of death in our society right now. That just permeates everything we're about. The Seamless Garment is asking ourselves, from a biblical viewpoint, we need to honor life in all categories. So what are those categories? Definitely the first one we've got to list is abortion. How about nuclear war? How about capital punishment? How can I ask to protect life on the front end and be willing to take it on the back end? The logic's not there. Euthanasia, or for some of you that we may define that as medically assisted suicide. Adoption, homelessness, poverty, hunger, immigration, healthcare, racism, embryo adoption, did you know This is a new phenomenon emerging. What do we do with all the embryos that are fertilized and frozen? If you and I believe life begins at conception, what do we do with all those embryos? There's a movement now amongst Christians to begin to adopt them. This is your generation that you've got to face. How about addiction, foster care, disabilities? The whole end of life discussion How do we as Christians celebrate the end of life and show people how to handle death or human trafficking? See, we need followers of Christ at the table, at the forefront of these moral issues to influence our culture, to influence our society. As followers of the Good Shepherd, you heard this yesterday from Justin, as followers of the Good Shepherd, we need to engage culture and reclaim it for Christ and not let the evil one have his way yes this is a broken and fallen world but you and I have that responsibility as followers of Christ to be Christ to show mercy to show mercy to my neighbor so let's go back to this seamless garment for life I want you to hear me now and hear me clearly this is not a political agenda on my part This is not a social agenda. So don't negate my philosophy or my approach as something biblical or social. It is neither Democrat or Republican. For me, it's biblical. Mm All Right? We talk about the sanctity of life. When we talk about an approach, we need to be consistent. That's my belief. We need to be consistent. We can't argue for the protection of life on one end and then have 3,800 nuclear warheads. Why do we need 3,800 nuclear warheads? Think of, Why do we need 3,800 nuclear warheads? Won't three do? <laughs> really, none will do, but you under, I mean it's hard to argue to protect life on one end and argue to end life on the other, like medically assisted suicide or capital punishment. We must advocate as followers of Christ for all of life. As we love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love the neighbors as ourselves, we can't approach life without that consistent ethic. Now, another discussion that I would love to have with you is war, and the importance of defending our country and a just war, that's a different topic. But we need to approach, how do we show mercy? How about the homeless issue that we read about in our culture, the most prosperous nation on the earth, and we have homeless people, not only here in the Twin Cities, but what's happening on the West Coast in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, L.A. Immigration. Wow. How do we handle that? As so, you know, they are sojourners in our country. We need to treat them as we would any of our neighbors. I have a dear friend who lives in the Kachoa Valley of California. That's down in the Palm Springs area. He's about 20 miles from the border. In his business, he raises palm trees. In fact, he says to me, he raises 90% of the palm trees in the United States. It's a pretty big farm. And he employs a number of people And he said, Al, I want to tell you how hard it is to get anybody through immigration. He said, I am willing to cover the attorney's fees, the cost, and everything, but Al, it is a two-year process. Why, I want to say to our government officials, why does it take two years to get citizen status of some type in the United States? That should not happen. Here again, it's a, I'm, not, I'm talking biblical folks. A sojourner in our country. A visitor who's seeking to live here. We should be more open than we currently are. We need to advocate for a biblical, not political, a biblical position. And I keep thinking of my life, verse of Micah 6, 8. Oh man, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The body of Christ, you and me, We need to be pro-life, advocating for those who need a voice, who are unable to speak for themselves, because they are made in the image of God. Just like you and me. So here's my point. We cannot be stuck on one issue. No matter how important that issue is, and each issue is vitally important. But we can't say that my pro-life issue is more important than yours. And if you don't believe the way I believe, then I'm not gonna stand with you. As Christians, we stand together because of the Savior who's made us one. So the seamless garment seeks to address that all of life's issues are important. In other words, how would Christ love them? How would Christ react? So my encouragement to you is pick an issue. That's fine, be an advocate for that issue, but don't downplay the others. Incorporate them in. Be supportive. Don't polarize other followers by making it the one issue. Even Pope Francis recently tweeted, I don't know if any of you are on Twitter, the church... I'm not on uh, Instagram or uh, Snapchat. still on Twitter. The church... The seamless garment cannot allow itself to be rent, broken, or fought over. National Association of Evangelicals, I'm on the board of that. There's 70 of us who represent the evangelical church. So you're talking about evangelical leaders across this country. We have been lobbying Congress. It's my time on that board. I've been on that board now about 10 years. We have been lobbying to change our immigration laws. We are trying to be a force at the table. We have sat down in front of the last two presidents, Obama and Trump, and have said, we've got to change these laws. We have support on both the Democrat and the Republican side. We just cannot get them together. We have talked about and have lobbied Congress on end-of-life issues. We need to talk about, we may have the science to prolong life and prolong life, but is that the right choice? Gail's brother, her older brother, was born with spinal bifida. For some of you that may not know, spinal bifida means you have a hole in your spinal cord. He spent most of his life in a wheelchair. Three times he was close to death the last time. When he was 53, the doctors told him he would never live to beyond 30. But each time after the, after the medical field brought him back, his life was not the same now I don't want to lose a loved one but we it was it was tough to see him continue to suffer there are people you know do we how long do we prolong life just be how long as christians we need to have some kind of philosophy and approach that addresses and shows non-christians how to embrace end-of-life issues We've been lobbying Congress at the at the National Association of Evangelicals about human trafficking and most importantly about abortion. But you students, you need to decide your position as a follower of Christ. I'm sharing with you mine. You need to come to your conclusion. That's why you're in college right now. Your mom and dad aren't telling you what to think. You need to decide what to think. Your senior pastor is not telling you what to think you need to decide and come to your own moral convictions based on a biblical worldview. So I'm encouraging you today to consider this viewpoint because I believe it's biblical. It encompasses more than just one issue. My personal viewpoint is that it's not the government's job because I believe in limited government. It's not the government's job to address all this. It's the church's job. It's the church's job to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to speak for the widow, to provide for those who have none. But if the church is going to abdicate this and push it off on the government, where are we then? We need to be the church. So how do you and I do it? How do we do it? Al, the world's hungry, how do I do it? You do it one person at a time. You feed a hungry world one person at a time. You clothe a naked world one person at a time. You address the problem when you see it. You address the opportunity when you have the opportunity. And you become active in addressing these needs. You support ministries with your time and your talent and your treasures that address life issues. And seek to love your neighbor as yourself. So you... Students, you in your lifetime can be a difference maker by loving your neighbor, by showing mercy, by being Christ-like. Again, Micah 6.8. Well, man, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? That's my prayer and hope for you. It is simple as that. I just wanted to share with you my perspective. I'm asking you now to wrestle with it and come up with your own position of what you think is a comprehensive pro-life view. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, at this time in their students' lives, because you have them here for a purpose and a reason for such a time as this, I pray, Lord, that they seek and they ask and they inquire and then decide. How they're going to approach a biblical worldview in regards to life. And Lord, guide them along that process. May your Holy Spirit descend upon them and lead them. And Lord, I trust that you will teach them according to your plan and purpose. I ask this all in the precious name of my Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. <clears throat>